0: Hi, this is Jim Lesser from BBDO San Francisco, and welcome to another episode of the Fog City Chronicles. Today's interview is part of a series called The Women Who Run BBDO. Female leadership is such an important topic in our industry right now, and at BBDO, I've been very lucky to work with uh, some of the most dynamic leaders in our industry who happen to be women who are running offices and groups of offices. And I thought that if we could uh, pull their collective knowledge together, it might help to inspire the uh, female leaders of tomorrow. Today's conversation on the women who run BBDO is with Susanna Keller. Susanna is the global business leader. She's an executive vice president uh, running all of the Mars brands around the BBDO network around the world. These uh, brands include chocolate brands like M&M's and Snickers, pet care brands like Pedigree and Caesar, uh, food brands like Ben's Original and Master Foods. And before being in this global business leader role, Susanna spent five years just leading the chocolate uh, segment, which has an incredible track record for great creative work. 50 lions in the time she led that business, Uh, two super Cleos. Two Emmy nominations on Snickers, just an incredible run. It included eight Super Bowl commercials, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I think it's a real testament to Susanna's leadership that the, uh, the the creative firepower that was was brought to the business during the period that she led it was um, was so strong. Susanna was born in Guatemala. She grew up in Annapolis, Maryland, and now lives in Manhattan. And she's someone who I really respect as a business leader, and as a, as a creative partner. So I'm excited to share with you the conversation I had with Susanna Keller. Okay, well, let's start at the beginning in the sense of how did you get into advertising? How did you choose advertising or how did you stumble into it? You know, what, was the, what was the impetus that got you where you are now?
1: Yeah, I, I would definitely describe my path as stumbling into it, for sure. Um, in fact, I've always admired people who are so sure and clear and they have a purpose and they always knew what they wanted to do or what they wanted to be when they grew up. I was definitely not one of those people. Um, in fact, growing up, my stated professions were um, a surf instructor and a windsurfing instructor. And that is amazing on two levels. One, I can do I cannot do either sport. <laughs> um, and two, everybody kind of went with it around me, um, so nobody ever challenged that as an aspiration of mine. Um, and I think it's because my parents weren't corporate, um, you know, and in fact, whenever they talked about the agency, they were definitely referencing the CIA, not the advertising agency, so they, they didn't really traditionally push me on this professional path of corporate America. Um, and. I think, but indirectly, sort of the, the skills they gave us all or the lessons they taught us about you know intellectual curiosity and asking questions were really, really important. Um, so I went to a liberal arts college. I went to Cornell. I was a history major and a French minor. I graduated with zero skills. Um, I had done an internship at Federated Merchandising in New York the summer before. Um, I worked in their private label group with uh, international markets Um, I knew walking out that summer I did not want to be in merchandising or fashion. I had attended a job consortium one weekend, and I remember like walking around in my Ann Taylor suit and talking to a lot of people. And I was actually talking to this woman from Gray, and I'm sure I gave her really unprepared, naive answers to her questions. Um, I asked her a ton of questions because I didn't realize I was was there to interview. I thought I was there to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. So I just remember peppering her with a ton of questions. Um, And then I left and I still was kind of unsure. And then um, fast forward to I was in Florida for lacrosse for spring break that spring. And I got a call from Gray offering me a job to be an assistant account executive. So I took the job. I started in September I was still none the wiser about what I was actually getting myself into. Um, And I showed up in this room and everybody there seemed to kind of know what they were doing. And um, I was put into the P&G group um, and I worked on sure deodorant, enjoy dishwashing liquid. And in the P&G hierarchy, that's definitely the bottom. Um, And so I worked in that group and then I don't know if I was asked to do it or I thought I would do it just because it would make my life easier. But um, I used to stay late every single night for about three months organizing a tape closet because at this moment in advertising, we were using three quarter inch and half inch machines. And it was this massive room that was like all chaos. And I was always responsible for having to go into the room and find the tape that we were referencing. So I used a library system it was color coded. It was amazing. It was like a work of art of organization. Um, and then six months later, I got promoted to be an account executive. And I think kind of what that taught me was do the job you're doing, do it well, and the next one will come to you. Um, so I just kind of figured it out like that.
0: I love that story. The the tape closet <laughs> is um, is a, a a real like a symbolic kind of example of what it takes to be great at the beginning of your advertising career.
1: Yeah, totally. <laughs>
0: you know? Oh, I've got a I've got a. Ivy League education and, um, and you know, I'm organizing the tape closet like nobody's business.
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> I love that. So I'm curious about, you mentioned I got out with no skills in your words, which I think is probably, it might be more accurate to say that uh, you didn't know that the skills you had were applicable. It's and true, um, so true. I'm curious what skills you actually like discovered you had once you got into advertising, that then you realize like, oh, those are the skills that I have that are really important to move my career forward.
1: Yeah, I think I, I guess maybe as uh, you're right, that's probably a little bit unfair to uh, my experience at that moment. Um, but I do think, you know, I being a liberal arts major, you are taught to take uh, information, analyze it critically, communicate something succinctly. um, So you become a better communicator, a better writer. Um, And so I guess I learned those kinds of skills. Um, And then, you know, I will say like just being an intern, you kind of start to see how things work. So the actual practical job experience was something I don't think I applied um, to my future career, but you kind of understand that follow-up is really important um, and things like that, that you learned like the little subtle cues that they seem like really small details, but they all add up to a bigger picture. So I think that the ability to write and communicate was something I learned in college and then just the 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 follow through the follow up um, and then obviously carrying through those communication skills i think definitely comes through so that's yeah. that's more fair i would say yeah
0: well you're just being humble <laughs> but with uh, just building on the skills question for a second because i think one of the things a lot of young people in the business um, learn as they're, as they're moving along in their careers is that you reach a couple points in your career where the skills that got you there aren't the skills that get you to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if there were moments that you remember where it was like, okay, my communication skills and my follow-up skills, that I really stood out for that up to here. And then I had to add this. Where there, do you remember those kinds of steps where it was kind of like, okay, now I'm at a different level where I'm, there's different expectations and different, different um, things that I've got to bring to the table?
1: Well, I think, you know, as you grow in any position, you know, you're always looking to how is the person above me tackling this problem? And so I think you're constantly learning, right? So you you have to learn to be a sponge um, from day one, because uh, nobody knows all of the answers. So I think being open to learning, um, picking up cues from other people, oh, oh, I really liked how they approached this problem. Um, I think is you you have to assess what everybody around you is doing and decide what you want to carry forward so and then I think some of those more practical skills you have to transfer into your teams and and look for people who are going to do those things um you know on your behalf because you're thinking about other things. so I think it becomes like almost like the the leadership skills you start to do and then you transfer other things um, the whole for the whole team
0: yeah yeah. Just kind of building on the skills question a little bit, I'm, I'm really curious because you and I were earlier this morning just on another call that was to do with diversity and equity training. And that means so much more now than it did, say, two years ago, or it means some different things maybe um, than it did a couple of years ago. But as someone who you know has, has built a career, even in a time, even though you're quite a bit younger than me, Still at a time when the the you know the white men certainly have every advantage. And being a woman in, in advertising, in business in general, has so many challenges. Um, I wonder if there's anything that you've seen along the way that you would want to share that would help other women who are starting out their career um, feel like, you know, there's a there's a path there and things where whether it's whether it's moments that you had to push through on or even things you've learned along the way that now you try to share with the women on your team?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I guess less about a skill and more about a lesson. Um, I think, you know, for me, you know, the the thing I would always be challenged on early on as either a junior person or a female junior person in the room, um, and obviously not really exactly sure what I was doing, um, I think is this idea of, you know, just say it. Um, And I had this, um, this boss of mine early on, and I was, you know, the most junior person in the room. And I was sure that everybody around me was smarter, had more experience, because that was probably true. Um, So I'd whisper things to her in a a conference room. And she got to the point where she said, Susanna, I'm not going to do this anymore. And she she forced me to just say it. I kind of think it's like the verbal equivalent of taking your seat at the table as a woman. Um, you know, I think there's that very you know, physical aspect of that, but also just having the confidence to say what's on your mind. I think that, you know, men have done that forever. Um, and so, you know, just having the confidence to do that was definitely a lesson that I learned early on. And I was so thankful for her pushing me to find my voice.
0: That's a great, a great lesson, just say it. And I, I mean, I, I think to some degree, there's probably an insight there that crosses many lines, you know, gender and, and color and other things where, especially as a new person or as a young person in a room, you're not sure what your place is. And you're also, mm-hmm. you know, you're also just not sure if you're right. right. You know, you're, you're still kind of guessing, like, is this, is this what we should do? You know, and, you, and so the whisper is almost like, you, you're almost hesitant to say it out loud. Yeah, um, but if you if you have a good mentor, they'll force you to just say it, as yours did, huh?
1: That's right, are there that's other right. things?
0: Are there <laughs> other things that you've seen as you've come up through your career that mentors did successfully or unsuccessfully that you've learned from and stolen or adapted for your own style?
1: Yeah, you know, when I was, um, you know, I kind of consider Kirsten Flanack to be a bit of a mentor. We don't have a formal mentor-mentee relationship, but you know, she was my boss for a really long time, um, and. You know, I do remember there's sort of two instances with with Kirsten um, that I remember very specifically. First, when I was interviewing for the job at BBDO, um, I had been at my previous agency for over nine years. I actually wasn't looking for a job. Um, And I had had my daughter was four and my son was just two. And I had built a reputation and had flexibility in my previous job. And I was worried about making a move. Um, and I asked her in the interview, I said, you know, what kind of flexibility do you have? And she said, you know, look, this is your job. You are accountable for it. Um, you know, you are accountable for your team's output, your output. But I don't care where you do it, and when you do it. Um, and I was like, okay, cool. That freedom and trust to do that uh, was really, I think, motivating for me. And I think is something that I try to um, you know, bring forward into my teams now still. Um, and then I think the other thing with Kirsten when I first started at BBDO, so that was in July that we interviewed, I took the job in September. Um, within my first three weeks um, on the job, we were presenting to the president and CEO of Mars um, Paul Michaels at the time, we were presenting the new Super Bowl work, uh, which by the time I had shown up was, you know, 75% complete. Um, but we were sharing boards with them. And I assumed I'd have no role in the meeting because that was the new girl. Um, and instead she said, you are going to present the work with Lauren and Tim. And I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, so I sat in this, uh, it was sort of like a fishbowl type setting. It was a U shaped, um, desk set up and Lauren, Tim and I sat in the middle and basically anybody who would have any influence client or internal on my career was in that little, uh, perimeter and we presented it. And the whole time I'm sitting here thinking, I don't know if I trust myself to do this, but yet Kirsten did. Um, and I think Mm -hmm. that trust is really important because when you see that somebody trusts you, you're definitely more secure and then you are a better performer. And I think that, you know, having that trust in your teams to really rise to the occasion, um, is really, really important and something I've definitely tried to um, instill in the teams that I have. Is the accountability and the trust is really, really a motivator for everybody.
0: That's a great story. Just to set the stage for anybody who doesn't know, you know, BBDO New York, Tim and Lauren are the creative directors on M&Ms and mm-hmm. they've been there for a long time, right? And when, yeah. when when you come into that situation, what level of account person are you?
1: I was a senior vice president.
0: Okay. So you were pretty senior, but yeah. still you were the new one. Right. So you figured you'd kind of sit on the sidelines and watch them do their thing. and Because yeah, it ease. wasn't my
1: story to tell either, right? Like I came in when it was, you know, lots of great people before me, Catherine, everybody had, had done so much of the work and I was just kind of sliding in and, and I assumed that, you know, somebody else would do it or the creatives would, would carry it. But no, Kirsten right. put me front and center, probably as a test, <laughs> but I took it as trust. Right. <laughs>
0: Well, maybe it's both. (laughs) I'm
1: sure. (laughs) Uh,
0: You mentioned um, Kirsten being a mentor to you, and um, and obviously we've had we had a long conversation. She was one of the first people I interviewed for this, and so I know she has um, a very specific point of view about being a mentor. And I wonder if you if you um, have any insights for people who are looking for that mentorship like maybe they don't know where to get it how to find it do you ask somebody or is that the worst way to find a mentor like is it kind of you know i don't have time to be a mentor or you know i don't know if, if there's any kind of color you could add to anyone who's who's out there searching for the person who can help them unlock their potential
1: yeah it's it's funny cuz i think as as someone if i were to be asked to be somebody's mentor that feel like a lot of pressure on me. Um, and, you know, and maybe that's a good thing, but I, I'm not sure I would welcome that. But I had a boss once who, um, you know, talked about, you know, finding your advocates. And so it's not one single individual, but it's almost like your board of directors type of thing. And you've got four people that can help you solve thing, different things for different Um, you go to for different reasons. So it's like not putting all of your eggs in one basket, but I think it's like having the variety of perspective and the people that, you know, oh, I'm going to call this person when I've got a, you know, a political drama that I've got to deal with. I've got another one where I've got a client thing. And so it's not not as compartmentalized as that. But I think thinking about people as, you know, this is, these are either your advocates or your board of directors that are going to kind of tell you what um, is the truth uh is really important. So it's rather than having a single individual, I've I've found it valuable to have um a variety of people to turn to um dependent on the situation. And I sometimes love, love sometimes your peers too, you know. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. I love that idea of having a personal board of directors that you can kind of turn to for for advice and on different topics. And theoretically like in any board of directors, you kind of want people with different skill sets.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um is that something that you kind of formalize, or is it more is it more just casual in in your case? For
1: for me, it's been definitely more much more casual. Um, yeah. You know, I think people definitely know who they are, who I call for advice, um, but I've never done a formal "Would you be my" um, kind of conversation. Um, right. It's just the person has become it. Rather than ask for permission, just seek forgiveness later, I guess.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I have a, I have a friend who says the, uh, the worst way to get someone to be your mentor is to ask them to be your mentor. Yeah. <laughs> like, just ask them for some small favor and you'll work your way towards it. That's
1: right. That's right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I wonder, uh, I, I'm, I'm curious also to touch on some practical stuff and some mm-hmm. also some personal stuff in the sense of like how life intersects with work. So on the, on the personal side, I wonder, because I know you so well, I know that you're, someone who takes their personal fitness really seriously. Mm -hmm. And I wonder um, if you could talk about what role exercise and fitness and taking care of yourself has in your mind in in terms of being successful, in terms of, you know, showing up as your best self at at work every day.
1: Yeah, um, you're right. I do really enjoy um, exercise. I have played sports my entire life. I played sports in college. Um, It's always been a component of who I am. Um, so it's, for me, it's like my, I go for a run in, in Central Park every morning, um, and not every morning, but many, many mornings. Um, but it is sort of like my own personal reset button, uh, where it's like, I'm, I'm often alone and I prefer it that way. Um, I don't listen to music. Um, and I'm just kind of there working things through either stuff that was keeping me up at night, stuff that I need to be thinking about the next day. Um, but it really kind of just refreshes myself every, it refreshes me every single, um, every day that I do it. So it's a real mental break for me, um, which is why I don't like music or anything like that. Cause it's just to be with my own thoughts. Sometimes that's a dangerous thing <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> it's a very refreshing thing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't think I could run 25 yards without music on. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you
0: do it. It's amazing. It's a, it takes real discipline. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's impressive. Um, you, you actually mentioned sports in college. I know you were on the lacrosse team and you mentioned that earlier that you were, when you got your job offer, you were at a tournament or at a game or something like that. You know, I, I've always thought that, that team sports give you a lot of training for what we do. Did you find that to be true? Do you think that's something that, is that something that you look for in people now? Um, is there some other things that, you know, you, car- you carried from team sports into advertising?
1: Yeah, d- definitely, but unconsciously, right? I don't, or subconsciously, um, you know, I'm not sure I knew what I was setting myself up for by being an athlete, right? Like I didn't seek out being an athlete to gain, gain skills. I just kind of, you know, happened to play college lacrosse. Um, and then looking back on it, I'm so thankful that I did that because without realizing it, I did teach myself a degree of discipline. Um, you know, all the cliches of time management. Um, you know, I always had something pulling on my, my schedule, whether it was practice or, or, weightlifting training or school. Um, and then obviously, you know, the social aspects of life, like friends and and all of those things. So it taught me a certain discipline that I didn't realize at the moment, but I'm thankful, um, afterward. And then I think, you know, again, it's the cliches are, are true. I think the, the aspect of, what it is like to be a team player um, is obviously something that uh, carries forward to probably most businesses, but definitely advertising. You know, there isn't a single person on it, on any of our teams that can do it all um, because that we're all specialists in our own individual um, uh, departments, if you will. But so I think there's, there's that too, um, just like a team sports makeup.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that, that you were, you know, the the cliches you're talking about, like time management, in so many ways, the habits you form right when you, you know, get into college or your first job or two, those personal habits about time management, about taking care of yourself, they're, they're formative, and you mm-hmm. don't always know it at the time, mm-hmm. you know, you're kind of doing it, you know, you enjoyed lacrosse, so you were on the team, so right. there's yeah. demands so you figure it out, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in a career that's demanding, and then you have a family, and yeah. That continues, but but obviously you you are able to manage that with finesse because you've kind of been training for it all along. Yeah. In a way.
1: Yeah, no, that's um, absolutely right.
0: And how how do you feel about the 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 kind of meta question of, of life work balance? Like there's some people who say there is no balance, it's just, you know, they're intertwined. How do you separate or connect your life as a mom and a wife with your life as, you know, an uh a person running a huge global account.
1: Yeah, I um, I hate the word balance because for me, I always feel like I'm imbalanced. Something is always losing in that equation. It is never, right. balance is about 50-50. And I, I feel like it's an impossible, impossible task for um, anyone to meet. Um, and it took me a while to realize that. I always felt like I was either failing at work or failing at home, Um, and I think you have to get to this point where you realize that every single day there's a trade-off you're going to make. Well, some days it's going to be the trade-off of I am going to not be able to make this meeting because I have to do something that is, you know, school-related. The next day it's I'm sorry I cannot do this school thing because I've got to do this work thing, and so you're constantly just, you know, measuring and remeasuring every single day. Um, and so you have to look at it on the aggregate in order to feel good about it. <laughs> so, you right. know, as, as you know, I, I travel a ton, um, for my job when it's not COVID. Um, and then my weekends, I am all in like the only thing that I do all weekend long has to do with my children. Cause I haven't been, um, with my family all week long. Um, so I have to, I have to figure all of that out. Each week is new and each day is different.
0: Right? Were there any for for again for people who are kind of trying to are still in the process of figuring this out? Were there any rules of thumb or tips or or habits that you formed that helped you work through that? For example, uh, one person said, you know, we have no no phones at the dinner table. Like like dinner time is sacred. But are there any any examples for you of how you just sort of you know figured out that integration without? you know without making it too structured because we're in advertising and it's very hard to be kind of on call all the time it's like being yeah. a doctor or something yeah. but at the same time like you know having that you know you have uh, great kids and and you document them beautifully on, uh, on Instagram, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, you can see they're, they're having a great time with their mom on weekends, that's for sure. <laughs> that's, that's, the,
1: that's the dream I sell on Instagram, right? <laughs> no, um, I, I wish I were more disciplined and had a rule about it. Um, I think the only thing, um, I think there are probably two things. I think forever, there has always been, as we are home, uh, a meal. So when my kids were young, um, I was never home for dinner, but we, I was always there for breakfast, right? And so we'd sit and we'd have breakfast before they had to, you know, rush off to school and stuff like that. Um, and now it's definitely more of a dinner time thing. So we always definitely try to um, gather around a meal. We do a really corny thing called Rose Bud, and Thorn," where we talk about our best, our worst, and the thing we're looking forward to, um, just to kind of get the conversation going. Um, yep. But that's that's kind of the only only, um, thing, um, that I'd say is, is a structured thing. And then my kids do play sports. Um, and so far it's worked out that, um, we all go to everybody's games um so we are all there to support everybody so even if you do not want to get up to go to the 8 a.m game in whatever county in westchester you you will go and you will watch your sibling play on the sidelines and so we are very much a family unit that does um all of the the sports watching so i would say those two things are are the the two bits that allow us to have that family moment um despite the the craziness of our jobs
0: that's great. That's great. Yeah. As, and especially as they become teenagers, they, uh, they get less and less interested in leaving the house for their siblings event.
1: <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious about a, a, a little bit more on the team building side of things and and just the process. Are there things that you consciously do? Because your team is both located in New York, but also dispersed all over the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm curious what you've learned about team building in the sense of, are there things that you do, you know, just on a on a on a regular basis to make everyone feel like they're part of something, and to love being part of that team? Because yeah. it's a challenge, right having having mm-hmm. a group in one office, but then having this dispersed team all over the place. Yeah, and now we're all dispersed.
1: <laughs> yes, we're well. I'm, I'm I'm in my my home office, aka my bedroom. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Um, I think. Well, I think obviously there are two reasons why people love working and love doing what we do and that's the work that we do and the people you do it with, right? So I think there are two components to um, that question. And and so I think being a part of something has to do with the creative output. Um, And I'd say if you look across the, you know, the network BBDO and the work that we do for Mars, there's such immense pride and frankly competition um, across the various segments and across the offices to constantly raise the bar. So I think you're part of it just by um, the contribution to the work we do. Um, And then obviously the people you do it with. And I think, you know, um, you know, Sinjin before me and uh, everybody on the, the team, we've definitely tried to create an atmosphere where, you know, there is, there is as much, you know, about the, the work as it is about the people and getting to know each other and having, you know, moments where you can have dinner or coffee or, you know, things like that outside of the actual um, work bit, because otherwise you just become, you know, people who are, you know, on, an, on a Zoom or in another country and you don't have any accountability to it. So having that um, idea of, of knowing the personal as much as the professional, I think is, you know, again, a cliche, but so, so true um, in, in this industry.
0: Right, right. That time spent out of the office is like pays back in the office, right? Yeah, the, absolutely. The quote in the office, since we're not in the office, right, right. <laughs> um, um, what about hiring? How, how, um, how do you approach thinking about building a team? Meaning, you know, do you have any favorite interview questions or techniques? It's interesting to me that you know we all take things like unconscious bias to make sure we're not we're not doing certain things when we interview. But well, what are the things we should do? Not not related to bias necessarily, but more related to how do you um, you know how do you like to to figure out if this is somebody you wanna you wanna work with.
1: Well, I think you know it's definitely. Obviously, we were on this um, discussion earlier, um, which I think informs some of this. But you're you're trying not to hire yourself, you know. Um, I think, and that's definitely that's that's an attractive thing to do because um, it's easy to, <laughs> to to understand what's what's in the brain of somebody who thinks exactly like you. Um, but I think trying to push yourself to have somebody that compliments, but doesn't copycat exactly how you think um, or even your own skill set. Um, I think it's kind of a really basic question, but I've been made fun of it before because I ask it anytime and it doesn't matter what level, cause I think it's a really, um, I think it tells a lot about the person as you ask. My favorite question is, do you have any questions? Because I think at the junior level, it shows a level of preparedness, a level of interest, a level of excitement and engagement in what they're about to do. And I think at the more senior level, what it does is it gives some aspect of, have they been listening? Um, is what is their perspective on the discussion you've just had um, and you know gives you a sense of how they might tackle problems or um, situations that come up as a, as a part of a job? so that's the most basic question you can ask somebody, but I will never leave an interview without asking that question and, I, and I've definitely they, not hired people on, on on account of their answer like no I'm good. I'm like really <laughs>
0: That's what I was going to ask. Are there any examples of great questions that you've heard where the example you just gave of, you know, no, I don't have any questions is the, is certainly a a red flag. Um, And we've all probably heard lots of like sort of the pat questions that people will will ask, but are there, are there any things that jumped to mind where you thought, wow, that's, that's a really thoughtful question?
1: Well, I think it, I don't know the specific question, but I think um, asking a question that's obviously been connected to the hour long conversation or 30 minute conversation that we've just had, right? Building on it. And, and often you're asking those questions throughout, right? So, um, it, which again gives you a level of you know, engagement in the conversation or intellectual curiosity about something we've just talked about. Um, I don't ever have like a pat list of questions I'm going to ask somebody. So it has to be organic to the, the discussion we've just been, been having for the past however many minutes
0: yeah i always i almost always try to ask what someone's favorite piece of work is and i always tell them that it can't be one of our pieces
1: yeah yeah. <laughs> because
0: i i you know they always look at the website or something
1: yeah, yeah, and yeah. i always
0: want to know like okay now why and like dig <laughs> a little deeper on that Yeah. Um, so that is i've also heard a great a great interview technique someone told me was to to present the problem that's on your desk at the moment obviously that has some limitations but the the type of problem that you're trying to solve, which in our in our lives varies wildly from day to day. Yeah. And to throw something at someone to see how they respond, you know, um, which which can be interesting as well. Yeah, but
1: that's a good one.
0: Do you typically do half hour interviews, hour-long interviews, or does it depend on like the level and the, the job?
1: I think it depends on the level, and then frankly, how good the conversation is, right? Like, if 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 it keeps going on, you know, if it was capped for half an hour, I'm not going to be like time people out. Um, right. You know, I'd love to continue to talk to um, whoever we're having an interesting conversation with. Um, I yeah. think if I'm looking at my watch, that's probably not a great sign.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably not a good sign for uh, for the candidate.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, what uh, I wonder if you could share an example of something that that was like a bump in the road for you career-wise I mean a, a lot of times you know people will look at someone like you and say oh she's worldwide you know client lead on this giant account and you know it's just been a smooth glide to the top and um and I think it can be really helpful for people to hear that there are bumps along the way or there are moments where you you know you have that sliding doors opportunity and you go through the wrong door but then it Circles back and it turns into something good. So um, I wonder if you have any any examples you could share of like either times where where you think you made the wrong choice in hindsight, or you hit a bump in the road that turned out to be an opportunity or or turned out to have a silver lining or something like that.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I've been at three different agencies, um, and I have, and I was at one agency twice um and so i it's interesting i I started at gray um after about two years i was still unsure whether or not advertising was for me (laughs) Mm. and i wanted to understand was it what i was doing or where i was doing it um and i went to ogilvy and i worked there for two years on the hershey account Um, i had a great experience Um, And then I was asked back to gray by my previous boss, who I would consider a mentor, or or, although I've never asked her to be one officially. Um, But I was asked to go back and work with her. um, And I went back uh, much to um, the dismay of my I guess he's, he would be the group leader at the time. And he was very a little bit rude and harsh to me about leaving so quickly. Um, And so I was very nervous about going back. um, And I went back and that turned out to be okay. Uh, And I stayed there for another nine years. I think also, um, you know, coming to BBDO was a huge decision for me. uh, Because again, at that moment, I wasn't looking. um, I was very happy. I was very comfortable. um, And I was very nervous uh, about making a change because I just didn't know if I was cut for BBDO cloth. Um, and, you know, it was just this big intimidating agency with such a reputation. Um, and I'd come from a quote unquote, less creative shop. Um, and I think now I'm so glad I made that decision, obviously. And I can't believe how many sleepless nights I had over that decision. Um, mm. And I think, you know, I think now, in hindsight, I should have approached either decision as nothing is ever permanent. Um, right. you know, and so I think we get into this world of like, if I'm going to make this decision, it's going to be the last decision I make for the rest of my life. And so to can give it, cut yourself a little bit of slack, it can be a good or a bad decision, but neither one of them is ever forever. And so to just, you know, relax a little bit and, and go with it a little bit more would be, um, uh, definitely something I would have liked my younger self to know.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: And the other the other I would say the other career decision I made is I almost became a paralegal coming out of wow. college um, oh. because as a history major, the only thing you know how to do is read and write. So therefore, also, I'm opinionated. So everybody right. told me I should be a lawyer. Um yeah. And so I thought, uh, actually, I'm really more into culture and creativity and those things. And so instead of getting paid three times what I was going to do in advertising, um, I decided not to be a lawyer, which I think was an excellent decision. Um, and, again, <laughs> and again, I did take the I took the, the mindset at that moment of I can always go to law school. So why not right. try this other thing? Um, right. So those would be, right. I guess, three. You can still go decisions. to law school. It's true. It's true. I don't want to be a lawyer anymore, though. I never really wanted to be. I think that was the thing. Everybody thought I should be.
0: <laughs> right, right. Well, you, you clearly found your calling. Um, so speaking, speaking of um, culture, creativity, you mentioned the things that you were into. What do you think accounts for your ability to actually now understand what good work is? Like, how do you think about, you know, you see new ideas on a wall. What are the things that that um you've learned that you might be able to share with people that because i i think a lot of times when people are are relatively young in their careers it's hard to know what good work is even if you're a creative person yeah you know you throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and somebody says yeah that one so for you now you know you've gotten to a point where it's really important that you're you're one of the people selecting the big ideas and selling the big ideas and and creating the big ideas how did that transformation or how did that Trigger go off for you or whatever it may be like was there was there a moment or was it a gradual process of starting to understand more because you mentioned you came from a less creative agency um, to BBDO. I wonder now how you know how you built your your muscle in that area how you built your confidence.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, I think obviously you know, it's never just me alone. It is also watching and listening and learning from all of those around me too, right? You know, obviously there are brilliant creative people, um, at BBDO. yours truly there, Jim. Um, (laughs) and so you, you have people who you can learn from. So I think it's, it's something that, um, you know, isn't necessarily this Oh, you have an amazing gut instinct. Yes, you know what you like, but does that necessarily mean it is good creative? And I think, you know, David's tenet of simplicity is, you know, probably um, the most important thing. Is it simple enough? Do I immediately get it? And then I think obviously having that element of, Um, you know, what is the, the new way of saying that same thing that you've been saying for, in the case of Snickers, you've been saying for 10 years, um, what is the new way at it? What is the cultural hook that we didn't have 10 years ago? Um, so thinking about it, I think through the lens of those two things that makes it sound like a formula and it's not as easy as that, but, um, for me, it's definitely been, uh, you know, listening and learning to those around me, um, to hone that instinct of my own.
0: Yeah. Are there any like examples for you of times where you, you yourself weren't sure about an idea when it was in, you know, germ phase or germ, germ stage, or, or like as a storyboard or something or a script. And you knew that it could be brilliant or it could be a disaster, but you were willing to take that risk. Or, you know, like I was thinking the the, one of the snicker spots that you guys did that I thought was brilliant. And it makes me laugh every time is the one where the doctor leaves the bone in the guy
1: yeah,
0: yeah. after the surgery. <laughs> and I could too. see presenting that as an example where it's like the client could be cringing. Like, that's the most <laughs> disgusting thing I've ever heard. And we're selling food, but it turned out brilliant.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think every single idea in its germ phase, you're like, oh, my God, this is either going to be amazing or it's going to be terrible. And I think if you don't have that feeling, that might be a bad thing, right? Because, you know, yes, the strategy is obviously very important. The idea is super important, but the execution is just as important. Um, and so making sure you have that bit of nervousness, um, it could go either way, is probably a, a pretty good th- Feeling to have when you're looking at the work Um, and then obviously the, the the teams know how to execute. I think, you know, that's one thing BBDO is excellent at nailing that execution. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, That's a, that's a brilliant insight. Someday when I do the, uh, the, the book of quotes of the women who run BBDO, that's (laughs) definitely going to be in there. If you're, (laughs) if you're not nervous a little bit, it may not be the right idea. (laughs) Yeah, That's really, really smart. Um, well, uh, touching back on, on just culture and creativity, I wonder now, um, and this is kind of tactical again and practical, but I just like to probe on things like interview practice, because I think it's so important for, for people in our agency. We, we, we know that our only competitive advantage is the people. And so finding the right people is so crucial. And do you, are you curious that whether or not people are in the popular culture or, things like that when you interview them or do you just kind of get a sense of it like is that is that a make or break in any way
1: i i think it's i do think it's really important because i think we all have to consume culture Um, and, but that means so many things, right? You could be somebody who's a student of music or like me, I just like a lot of music, but I, you ask me to go deep on any one particular artist, I will not be able to do that. Um, right. So I think you have to consume culture and it comes in so many different ways, you know, it can be books or movies, but, um, it is, I think very, very important in order to understand just how stories are being told. Um, in new ways. You know, many of the same stories exist over and over, but how they're told um, over time is really what changes. And I think it's that, that understanding of culture and that, that consumption of culture is what contributes to the freshness of ideas over and over. So I think, I think you do really need to be, I hate to say a student of, because I'm not a student of, I just like it. <laughs> so you have to be, you have right. to like it and, 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 uh, and consume it for sure.
0: Right. Well, on a, on a very practical level, what, um, what are your typical, like, daily media habits? Like, do you, are you a person who skims a ton of periodicals or <laughs> gets the news from one place? Or, like, what are your inputs?
1: So I subscribe to two um, digest news things, the morning brew and um, the skim both of which I like sometimes they overlap, but I do like both of them. You know, I think the morning brew has a little bit more um, of a business lens to it, but it still has a cultural aspect. The skim does too. And I like that you can go deep on things if you, if you want to. Um, I also Read the New York Times, Um, and then I just mandatory (laughs) right, right, right. And then because I'm finding that the news is a little bit much for my psyche at the moment, I've just gotten into listening to podcasts. Um, So uh, that's been a new media habit of mine, Um, and I've I've been listening to uh, Smartless, which is Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes. And it's basically they invite their friends on, and it's just kind of some laughs for an hour. Really, it's like yeah. really light on the brain. Um, obviously, some are better than others. Um, the Maya Rudolph one is hysterical if you haven't listened mm-hmm. to it. Um, but I do that. Uh, that's just... a good show. I haven't. <laughs> yeah, I, all of those guys are, are very funny. Um, but it, that's that's to sort of relax my mind from the seriousness of the world. But those would be my my uh, top news sites on a daily basis for sure. Mm, mm.
0: Um, yeah, I have, I'm a, I'm a major podcast addict, I guess, or I don't know. Enthusiast would be a better word. Yep. Yep. And I have not yet listened to that one, but I've heard really good things about it. I have to add it to my diet. (laughs) It's like you have a regular, you have your regular diet. You have to infuse it with new, new stuff.
1: You'll have to Um, share your list with me.
0: Sure. There's so many good ones now. I I, I think a last count, i I was talking to someone from Spotify and I think they said there was a million new ones last year or something crazy. It's like yeah. the the content is just overwhelming the amount of of options you have. Um, okay, let's talk about great leadership for a second. Mm-hmm. What have you stolen from the great leaders that you've watched, whether at our agency or anywhere else, that you now feel like you know you've kind of use every day?
1: Yeah, um I think you know the I hate to talk in so many cliches, but I guess they exist for a reason, but like this idea of, you know, authentic leadership is I think becoming an overused phrase, but this idea of bringing your whole self to work, right? So I am definitely not perfect. I could have had something happen at home when that informs my mood was I'm getting to the office um, or right now from when I'm going to my bedroom to when I'm going to my kitchen, that kind of thing. Um, so I think, you know, bringing, understanding that people are more than just that moment, Um, and obviously you too are, are part of that. So I think that idea of authentic leadership and, you know, having empathy for something might have happened earlier in the day that triggered something. Um, and so being able to, to notice that, to listen to it, um, and then still, you know, get the best out of the conversation or the person in that moment. I think the empathy piece and authentic leadership is for sure one that, um, I've definitely stolen from all my great bosses. (sighs) (laughs)
0: It's a good one. Well, like you said, it's a, it's maybe a cliche for a reason, but I think it's also, it's also one of those things that I I would describe it as almost like a trend or something. I don't know, in leadership, it's something that everyone's talking about. It's the subject Mm -hmm. of podcasts, but for good reason, because there was a time where it was thought that if you were the, the leader, you, you know, you, you behaved a certain way. Yeah. And that's that's evolved a lot,
1: So particularly for women, too. Right. Like mm. we had to behave like men um, in order mm. to to be leaders. And I don't think that's true anymore. I think you can behave as you are, um, you know, and, I, you know, I had a boss when I was at the moment about having to ha- uh, about to have children. And, um, you know, I wasn't sure could I do it all, whatever that means. Um, And she was very empathetic and very supportive. uh, But she also never cut me any slack. Um, So she was really kind. uh, But she didn't ever allow me to mommy track myself um Mm, because um, and I thought that that was and so I I've always thought about that and I did again it's one of those things you don't realize it's happening to you in the time and then you come out of it and you're like oh I'm so thankful that Lisa treated me that way um she didn't allow me to have excuses but she was also really kind and supportive when I had excuses (laughs) that kind of thing
0: that's that's really interesting so you said she didn't let you mommy track yourself what what do you mean by that
1: so mommy track is usually you give a woman um, a lighter schedule because they've got so many things to do at home. So you're not going to put them, you, you minimize their ambition mm. by putting them in um, you a know, less a, demanding, a, a less demanding job. Yeah. Uh,
0: okay. Got it. Didn't know that, that vocabulary. Okay. So um, what looking back just a little way now, what advice would you give your kind of, account executive self as you're coming up through the business and seeing seeing back with hindsight is there advice you would give give your you know 25 year old self that would have changed anything now if if people heard it today
1: Well, I I think it goes back to what we were talking about before. I think the value of every single person in the, I think every single person in the room has value, right? And so we all have different perspectives. We all have different ways we got there. Um, And so again, giving people the voice to say it, um, to share their perspective or their opinion um, I think it's really important. And so I think, you know, as a leader now, I think you want to be able to acknowledge the people you aren't hearing in the room um, just as much as you're giving, you know, yourself space to talk in those things because everybody in that room is there for a reason and brings something different to the table. So it's really important to hear all the voices.
0: Is there, are, are there things that you do to, to make that happen, especially in COVID times where everyone's on Zoom?
1: It's a little more awkward on Zoom, I think, because it's almost you feel like you're calling somebody out uh, when you're just trying to draw out the person who isn't talking. Um, I think it's a much more natural way to um, get people going and get people talking, getting the more introverted people on the team talking when you're in a room. Mm -hmm. I find Zoom to be very challenging and very, you know, single voice dominant. Um, Yeah. it's It's a tough one.
0: Yeah, and, and the bigger the group, the harder it is
1: mm-hmm.
0: in, in, many, in many cases. It is a challenging new world. On, it sure is. <laughs> on Teams slash Zoom slash WebEx slash That's whatever correct. you're using. Yeah. Um, okay, just to kind of wrap up, first of all, thank you for for doing this. and sure. um, And thank you for all your insights. There's so many things that I took away from this, like be a sponge. I was jotting down all these great quotes from you. You know, just say it as you're on your way up in your career and develop a personal board of directors. And if you're not nervous about an idea, it might not be the right one. Really, really applicable like insights that people can use, which, which is what the goal of this whole thing is. So thank you. Um, one thing I was just wondering as a, as a wrap up question is, you now have this big global job, literally global in in every respect that you've got brands all around the world, you've got teams all around the world. And I wonder if, you know, you, you grew up partially abroad in Guatemala and mm-hmm. I wonder how that, if that's something that impacted the, the, the choice you made to go into a global role, or if it's something that you were good at and that's why you got there. Does that make sense? So, yeah. you know, did, was it a chicken or the egg type of thing? Like, did you choose it and you had the skills because you grew up partially abroad, um, and traveling a lot in general, or is it, is it the other way around?
1: I think it's probably, you know, again, it's, you know, I was, I was young when we moved to the U S so it probably is subconsciously, um, you know, factored into my total makeup and, you know, the fact that my family now lives in Guatemala too. Um, I think it's there, um, subconsciously. I think it's probably because of that experience, um, it's probably a really good fit for me. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of both. I think it, it influenced me, Um, but it's not why I chose a a global job. Um, but it's definitely in line with my interests and, you know, I really do enjoy spending time with teams all around the world and hearing different perspectives and, you know, learning different cultural nuances. Like it's it's something I truly, truly enjoy. Um, so I think that's what, if you, if you like what you do, um, it's easier to do it for sure.
0: Um, Okay, so one last question. Obviously, at BBDO, we're all about the work. And so what is your favorite piece of work, if there is one that you've been a part of in your time at BBDO?
1: I mean, I don't know if you can work on the Snickers campaign and not talk about the Snickers campaign, although I was not um, part of the team that launched it. So kudos to all those people who came up with that brilliant idea. Um, And I think you know the challenge now is keeping that brilliant idea fresh, or 10, you know, more 10 plus years now we're going on. But it's one of those stories that when you get to tell the story um, at any point, you can't help but be enormously proud of the work. Um, you know, I think you know, of all of the pieces of, of work that I've been a part of on Snickers, I think the Snickers Hunger Rhythm um, is one that I am just profoundly proud of, just because it was, you know, this 7-Eleven promotional thing that became so much. Uh, bigger and better because of the strength of the idea that so many had crafted and created before um, Hunger Rhythm. So, Hunger Rhythm is definitely up there. I love the spot that you mentioned. Um, it's called recovery room. Um, and I just think, you know, the campaign really truly is endless. Um, and I think it's it's actually really exciting to know that we don't know exactly where we're going to take it. We know there are a couple of tenants we'll take forward, um, but it changes uh, frequently. And to have that flexibility is really. Really exciting so snickers for sure is my um, my my number one baby
0: um, that's, yeah it's it's such an an amazing success story that campaign and and you've done such an amazing job of stewarding it you know all around the world and so that people in however many countries have done brilliant work on it over the past um, the past 10 years or so so it's it's just a remarkable campaign in its ability to travel and its ability to mm-hmm keep generating new ideas and okay. to stretch from great you know humorous 30-second film to the the hunger rhythm piece that you mentioned and everything in between there's just so much amazing content that's that you guys have developed around the world it's it's a remarkable success story
1: yeah it's it's pretty incredible i mean all, all those people who work on that campaign all have something to individually to be proud of it's really right. incredible <laughs>
0: Right. Um, uh, Speaking of that, I I wonder just as someone who so loves the work that as you get to this level that you're at now where you're running a huge global account, how do you stay connected to the work? How do you avoid the trap of um, kind of floating up into administration, you know, and and not being as tightly connected to the actual ideas?
1: Yeah, I think... That's BBDO's culture, right? Um, I don't think BBDO's culture would ever allow anybody to step away from the work. Um, it is why we are here. Um, it's what we do for our clients, and we do it very well because of that. So, I think um, just the the sheer the culture of the the agency. Requires that um, that muscle memory from absolutely everybody. So uh, there shouldn't be a person in the building who doesn't care about the work, regardless of what position or how high they, they have become. I think you know Andrew and David still get involved in the work. Um, so that says everything. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. it's very true. It's very true. It's not a, it's not a, a company with a lot of a lot of layering where people insulate themselves from yeah. rolling up their sleeves and and uh, and coming up with ideas.
1: And I wouldn't want that either, right? Yeah, I, I like having the, the 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 creativity come into every single conversation. Um, it doesn't hurt. Also, that David um, uh, calls all the time too. <laughs> so, so you have to be connected to the work, <laughs> right. because it, it is very much what we live and breathe.
0: <laughs> it sure is. It sure is. Well, Susanna, thank you again for sharing all your insights and and wisdom from a wildly successful career and a great run at BBO and uh, an incredible run on Mars so thank you for uh, your time and for being so honest
1: thank you this has been super fun and I'm very honored to be a part of this um, I've listened to so many before uh, coming on this um, so I'm, ve- I'm very thrilled that you asked me so thank you so much
0: you're very welcome you're very welcome okay All well right. um, we will talk soon